I do, I do miss like a good Philly cheesesteak. Seventy three percent of all goals in open play are scored within ten seconds or less of regaining the football. The glass is half empty, everyone. Yep, always, <laughs> always, always. Yeah. Hey, everybody! Welcome to our interview series, Football in the Trenches with Brian Clairholtz, an American coach plugging his way through Swedish football, making an impact, sending ripples. Uh, Going to tell us today about his experiences and career. One of uh, young, talented coaches in Sweden, already making a name for himself with a bright future. We're really proud and happy to get a chance to talk to Brian today. Uh, for a very young age, he's already had quite an interesting career. Uh, and a lot of interesting insight and perspective. As always, the uh, podcast Football in the Trenches is sponsored by Game Insight, which is a new social media and uh, career building education platform for football players, coaches, parents, everybody pretty much that has anything to do with the game. Please visit GameInsight.sport for more information. Thank you. Here's Jesse with me today, as always, and uh, our Kiwi international stalwart. How are you doing? Hello, Jesse? hello. Yeah, good. Thank you. So, uh, welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, having me. And, uh, really excited to talk to you about football and my experience and football in the trenches. So, I uh, appreciate you guys having me and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Brian, at a young age, has already had uh, quite an impressive coaching career so far with a series of clubs working now for his third professional club in Sweden. From the Baltic South to the Northern city of Umeå, you are now working in Sweden's historical football capital of the North, Sundsvall. Yeah, uh, been a quite different journey and coming more South of Stockholm. And then last year going up to Umeå now at uh, Gif Sundsvall started in January. So, uh, you know, I thought originally I was going to move my way down south, you know, in, into more better weather, but uh, I've gone up <laughs> north, and, uh, but it's been a good experience. And uh, like I said, at Gifsundsvall now, a bigger club, a, a team that's been in the Allsvenska recently. So um, it's been good so far. Good start to 2021. Fantastic. Fantastic. We're going to start with, uh, as we always do in our podcast, with a rapid fire questions uh, series. The structure of it is, you know, short questions with short answers. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, we're going to so start under, with... under eight minutes. Under eight minutes. <laughs> so so it's just it's just the answer, no explanation. I just boom put out the answer, right? Put out the answer. If there's a little story there, you know, that's no problem. As okay, well. I can I can put that in. All right. Yeah, right. perfect. <laughs> we're going to start with uh, who was your favorite player growing up? I've had a few. You know, I really watched Man United in the 90s. I liked Cantona, Paul Scholes. Um, I would mm. say Paul Scholes, he's a guy, you know, that I really appreciated as a player and kind of uh, how he carried himself. So I would, I would go with Paul Scholes, definitely. Who is a manager that you get inspiration from? I get inspiration from a lot of managers. And, you know, like, I'm sure there's going to, a lot of people ask me what players you like in football. For me right now, it's watching managers who's doing something interesting. So 
It could be, I, lo I loved Maurizio Sarri when he had that Napoli team. It was a big influence on me. Um, Roger Schmidt when he first went to Red Bull Salzburg. Um, Ralph Ragnick when he was at uh, Leipzig. Um, so there's a lot of different managers that I look into and grab inspiration from. Guys that are being uh, a little bit more innovative, innovative, more progressive. But, you know, those three, I would say in their you know, I would say Schmidt and Ragnick maybe have some of the same principles. Mm. Um, Maurizio Sarri is a, a little bit different, but um, looking, I would say those three has, have had the biggest impact on me personally. Fantastic. And who is the best manager you've worked with so far? It's a good, it's a good question. You know, I, I've been a head coach the last three, four years. And uh, prior to that, I was in in the U.S. in the university level at some big programs. Mm. And I, I would say every manager I worked for had pros that they were really good at and different traits. I don't think one would I could say be the best at. I would say, okay, this guy's really good from the leadership aspect. Mm. And then I would say, okay, here's one that's really good tactically. That um, So – you know, as an assistant coach, as a younger coach growing up in that time, I tried to kind of look at these guys and say, okay, what are their best traits? And how can, when I get that opportunity, how can I combine that? So I, I wouldn't say any one of them were the best. I think some had better traits that they were stronger at, as, mm -hmm. as do I and everyone. So um, it was more of uh, taking that in. Hmm. Bit of a political answer yeah so all of the coaches <laughs> you know you know it, it, it's not it's not it, it sounds political but um but uh you know i i wouldn't i would be lying just to put a name yeah. out there because i think you know what what is the definition of best yeah in yeah. our sport is, is best results because we're in the football industry is yeah. best in terms of so i you know, that's that's how I kind of took that question in the rapid yeah, fire. Of course, this, of course. This, is a, this is a cynical comment, but being good at only PR can get you as far as the Premier League, it seems. There's managers that are only good at PR hey, that hey. Get, get all the way up there. <laughs> any or, or, any or, name drops or, there, Tony? <laughs> or, in, or, or in Italy now. Or in Italy at PR. Uh, you know, you get, you get some jobs in Italy. Definitely, yeah. definitely. No, Any I, names I, there, Brian? <laughs> hey, hey, that, that, I'll be political now. Now I'll be political. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put Allardyce on there, out there. I mean, come on. He's, 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 he knows how to, he knows how to negatively charm the media, and he goes, keeps on, uh, you know, playing the, the, the violin on the only English manager out there card, and even though he's not. Oh, uh, everyone yeah. loves Big Sam, Tony. Come on. Ah. <laughs> hey, Guardiola told said he was a genius. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But yeah, but the, not a, not but a they, football though. <laughs> but that, to answer your question, you know, like uh, one guy that I'll talk about in this podcast uh, when I was at the University of Connecticut, Ray Reed, who is a legend in uh, in U.S. soccer coaching. He was a great leader um, in terms of running a program, in terms of managing players that really influenced me because I had him, you know, I was at a really young age, 24, 25, working with him over 10 years ago. And then, uh, you know, when I came to Europe, I was working with John Wall and I thought, thought he was really creative, really tactical. Um, 
at a really high level. So, you know, and then guys in between that. Um, so I, I look at, you know, th those guys and like I said, the trying to take those traits and, and form who I am going to be as a coach and a manager. And I think I've really looked into that a lot. Where's, where's Ray at now? He's still at Connecticut. He's still Connecticut. at UConn cool. University. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, going off that last answer then, to ask who your best player is that you've coached so far, uh, do you have any players that stick out to mind? I obviously know that, you know, different positions and things obviously require different characteristics, but uh, is there any kind of names or players that really stick in your mind that you're like, you know, wow? Yeah. Um, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate fortunate enough to work with some players that represent themselves in world cups, uh, champions league level, um, long careers in the MLS. One guy, you know, when I think about, you know, how good this player was, was a name Carlos Alvarez. who was actually at the university of Connecticut. I think he was the second pick in the MLS draft. He's the older mm -hmm. brother, brother to Efren Alvarez, who's at LA galaxy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, central midfielder, attacking midfielder, Latino from outside Los Angeles, uh, and just how he was as a leader, how professional he was, and how creative he was as a player. Um, and I would say for me that that guy was special. Now, I don't know if I was, you know, like I said, I was 24, 25 at that time watching this guy day in and day out. Um, but he always kind of sticks in my mind to some of the things in, in training um, and how he carried himself and how he was as a leader as well, not only footballer. Uh, so mm. I would say, yeah, I think about him a lot as a player. Oh, fantastic. And then following on from that, uh, obviously you mentioned that you were involved in coaching from a very young age. How many elite players so far have you helped along their path, along their journey? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a handful of guys that had pretty good MLS careers, a handful that have started in MLS that have gone down to USL, and then a handful of guys that uh, play in the top tiers in, in Sweden or abroad in Europe. Um, so I would say probably 20 to 25 at this point. At a, and it's, it's rewarding to see guys that maybe you've had at a lower level that now thrive at, at the highest levels mm. it's rewarding to see guys go into champions league qualification that you've had at lower levels and um it's been a consistent path i don't know if i can tap my myself on the shoulder but guys have have done well um and um yeah so i'd say 20 to 25 range at this point yeah awesome very nice and to take it a little bit lighter now uh, <laughs> yeah. what is what is your favorite meal uh, you know, I'm from Jersey, yeah. outside Philadelphia. I do, I do miss like a good Philly cheesesteak, like a oh, good one. Cool. That that I only give that to a handful of places. I tried making one mm. over here, nah. but I couldn't. I couldn't get the beef like sliced enough, and it wasn't wasn't too successful. Not um, having it. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't good. Um, so I miss that. That's one of my favorite meals. I can always go for that. If I want to be a little bit more fancy, you know, I like a good steak, a good surf and turf. Um, oh, the best of both worlds, eh? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an adaptable guy. You know, you can throw me in any restaurant, any room, you know. So, so those are two things I could always eat, 
always, always, always. How are the Swedish meatballs, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) They're all right. You know, I've been here over five years now. I got kind of sick of them. Yeah. I reckon those berries on the side are unreal, though, by the way. (laughs) The the lingonberries. Oh, they're decent, those those meatballs. They're good. They're good. Yeah, they're they're very decent. Oh, you gotta try. You yeah. gotta try cloudberries, Jesse. The oh, cloudberries. Cloudberries. Heard, heard of that? They're 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 these non-sweet or like bitter berries. They're yellow. They mm. like, look like a like an underdeveloped raspberry, but they're amazing. Mm. Try cloudberries. Okay. All right, we'll yeah. have a go. They're, they're and to, our, to our audience, try cloudberries. <laughs> they're, from, they're, from, they're from the north. They're from the north of Sweden. Yeah. But they're they're not yeah. cheap. They're not so cheap. They, yeah. they come the frozen then. Yeah. Bed. They come in a jam in a jar. Frozen though, yeah. No, no, no. They, 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 you find them next to the next to the magic elf villages in the in the forest. <laughs> uh, Brian, what's your favorite film? Who? I like Rocky a lot. I grew up on that. I like being the underdog. I like where it's where it's based out of. I I think of that movie a lot. I sometimes, you know, go into matches, like thinking like that. I love that. That's what I'm about, you know, being the underdog, um, working hard. Yeah, I could always throw on Rocky. Always, always. Fantastic. Very good choice there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's your f- favorite current player? Mm. I like, I like Kevin De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. I like just because I value how good he is in the final third, his passing, which I think is some, some of his vision is not even, people don't recognize how hard it is to find a player like that. Um, I really liked Jorginho when he was in Napoli. Um, Angolio Conte, because he's so versatile and in, in what he gives you in midfield. Um, I'm giving a lot of midfielders out, you know, I value them. Um, but the, the Bruyne right now, he's a, he's a constant guy that impresses me. Uh, I think he's, I think he's quality. In a way, he's a real evolution. I just, I never realized, but when you, when you link the two players, it's an evolution of Paul Scholes in a way. I mean, the way they play, running from deep, covering a lot of, covering a lot of ground uh, behind the play and, and getting into the strategic positions, they're really similar players in a way. Yeah, in a bit, you know, we're looking at all these players, uh, you know, especially the Jorginho and the Kevin De Bruins and the Paul Schools and the and the vision that they have, yeah. um, kind of that's a special trait they all have consistently. So yeah, I can see that maybe uh, subconsciously I'm thinking about that. You know, <laughs> I like what I like. I like what I like. I like what I like. <laughs> if you could be involved as a coach in any other sport what would it be and and is there any reasons if there is you know growing up in the U.S. I was always kind of against American football just because you know they have so much attention so so much uh, how popular it is and I always thought it brought down soccer or football you know Mm -hmm. And that's even my dad worked for the National Football League at NFL Films for 10 years. And I was always kind of against it. I was always more into hockey uh, as a second sport. Um, But now, you know, as I got older and I don't watch too much American football, but I appreciate the plays that they run. 
Um, yeah. So I like that's a tactical element um, for me. So I can see that being interesting um, yeah. and digging into really the X's and O's of things defensively and offensively and having these specialty coaches that they have in, in defense or attack or special teams. So I think that's interesting. Uh, if you would have asked me this 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. Um, yeah. I probably would say hockey, but right now probably because of the tactical, the tactical side NFL, I think that could be interesting. We ask you in 10 years, it's going to be golf, but it might be golf. It might be golf. <laughs> just, just hitting it or, or paddle. paddle. Paddle's big here, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, maybe in 10 years, golf. But in uh, NFL, it helps every time, you know, they set up a play. It's like, stop, stop, stop. Let's set up this, this, this. In football, it's always running, you know. We could, we could do some interesting things, some damage on that. If you have, you know, 30, sec uh, 30 seconds, put it together, tweak it a bit. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. For sure, for sure. And then going back a little bit, uh, you know, if you weren't involved in football growing up, what do you think you would have ended up doing? Yeah, I think that's a good question. You know, I've been playing since I've been four. It's been kind of a consistent path. The game I've always been involved with. I think one year after I was done playing, I worked in a, in a normal job um, in New York City in entertainment and brand management and marketing. I, I don't know. I mean, it's something in terms of leadership, something in terms of entertainment, you know, I like, I, I can get bored a bit quick. That's why it is, you know, as a football manager, as a football coach, it's always, you can't be too satisfied too much. You always thinking of the next game. You can't be too sad on a loss. You can't be too sad on a win. So that would have to, to suit me. I don't think I'd be good sitting at, at a desk, um, but something in terms of entertainment, something in terms of marketing, uh, I think it would, I would end up there. You, you had a, you had the jersey slip there. You said you can't be too sad on a loss. You can't be too sad on a win. <laughs> yeah, too sad positive, on a win. Positive, positive I'm visualization. A, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a positive guy. You, you can't, yeah, yeah. You can't you can't enjoy the W's too much. You can't. You can't. The glass is half empty. Everyone. Yep. Always. 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 Yeah. You caught me. You caught me. I'm learning a lot about myself right now. Really? <laughs> <I didn't> even... <laughs> but that's the interesting thing about being a football coach as well is uh, that a lot of people don't actually realize is one of the only professions where you have to every Saturday sack half of the team and then rehire them again on the Monday and get everyone on board again. You know, It's a very interesting yeah, profession. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's about management and leadership and the, the collective a lot of times and how you know, putting the individual thought process away and trying to form this team to be successful. And that's, uh, that's the, the best in the business do that well. Mm. The best in the mm. business do that well, for sure. For sure. Well, that's the end of the rapid, not so rapid. <laughs> it wasn't too rapid. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so that's the end of the rapid fire section. Uh, Tony. Perfect. Uh, Brian, you've, uh, you're young, but you've had a number of years of experience now, hands-on. Uh, you had a lot of theory. You've always, ever since I've known you, you've, you've been swimming in theory. 
Um, but how has your view of the game changed in the last couple of years? How would you say, how would you say that the combination of, 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 of watching and doing has, has, has shaped your own understanding of the game? Yeah, I think there has been some significant changes in my thought process and that that's from experience. And that's where, you know, I think the game is always evolving. Um, you know, a lot of times when I, especially when I first came over to Sweden and new shopping, I, my teams had a lot of possession of the football 65 plus, um, and, and at the, and playing good football statistically looking at it and being like, okay, this is good. And then you end up losing a game one nil. Um, and really digging deep into that and being like, okay, why is this? I think the hardest thing to play against in a football match is 10 players behind the ball to break that down. Um, so, you know, I, I spoke briefly about the influence on Ralph Brognick and Roger Schmidt and really looking at how fast um, football is going in terms of the transitions and the press. So I've really these last few years really have studied that really have gone into that, you know, 73% of all goals in open play are scored within 10 seconds or less of regaining the football. And that's something that I've really have put a focus on. Okay. How do we press? Well, how do we regain the ball to score? How do we um, maybe create if there's a low block defending, Um, and we can't break them down. Maybe we create the transition. Maybe we play vertical in an overload and swarm it to disrupt the opponent, to disorganize them. So I think that is where I've gone a bit. Now, the hardest thing is to kind of mix and match those things, to kind of have, okay, dominance on the ball, but still be fast in your play. And I think that that's, that's been a difficult thing. That's what people are trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's really interesting and and uh it's it's uh that that time span for the transition goals seems to have seems to be getting lower and lower and lower the players are getting more athletic uh and they're getting more specialized in 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 in, in that type of uh quick transition as well um and 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 uh and the and the defenses are getting better so it's it's really about catching them off balance right um are the instances in your career are are there specific instances in your career that that shaped you and made you who you are today yeah i think you know like uh even just growing up you look at you know my family and where i'm from you know my dad was a us navy deep sea diver um who was always pretty um tough on us and you know, never, you know, he, he disciplined us and we, he knew uh, it was hard work within football, within life. So he kind of shaped those values. Um, and my mom was a nurse. Um, me and my brother were both pretty good players in the U.S. Um, and then, like I said before, Ray Reed, when I was at the University of Connecticut, it was the number one program in the United States at that time. I was 24, um, working in that type of environment that was really cutthroat Um, the expectation were, was to win each game. Uh, I remember a story when we were, we were, we were number one in the country. We were undefeated. We played University of West Virginia and we lost the game 2-1. 
and I think we had a flight out the next day, six in the morning. And like, we had a staff meeting till, till 4am in the morning. Uh, Hey, we need to fix this. And those type type of demands shaped me. It was like, okay, you're in a winning environment. This is what it takes to win. These are the expectations. This is carried down from the leaders to the players. And then I've gone to different programs where being uh, mediocre is accepted. And those teams were mediocre. So I think learning how to win and what is what it takes to win is a sacrifice. And I think that has shaped me a lot, being, being in that program and seeing um, putting high demands on the staff, on, on ourselves and the players and creating that winning, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but winning culture. And that takes hard, that takes hard work. And um, that, that has shaped me a lot. Mm. It's really interesting, but it's really true, and it's actually rarely said, Brian. That I mean, there's there, it's 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 referred to in passing, but it's rarely specified that that you have to build the winning culture. You have to do it by choice. It's you know, you can just come along for the ride. You can have a nice team and a nice league and nice fans, but you know, it's a whole different and stage. For sure, and and putting demands on players in training, right? Like we see. Let's say you have a forward who's a top tier forward, and then he is not finishing daily in training. He needs to have some pressure on him yeah. during the week in order to execute oh. on on the weekend. So I've seen that. I think it's it's not anything you know to for the players. Okay, this guy's on me. It's to make him better. It's to deal with the pressure, the expectations. Okay, we need to finish. You need to finish in these in these exercises or in these small sided games. And that's the expectations. And you need to be on him because the 90 minute game should be easy and that should become habitual and uh, creating that environment to be a winner. And I, I think about that. I think of winning a lot as much as yeah. Tony may think of me as, as a lot of theory and a lot of tactics. I go into that, but that can only take you so far. I think, I think you need to have that mindset and that needs to come from the leader of the group and even the leaders of the clubs um, above that. And uh, no, pressure, pressure creates diamonds, right? For sure. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a great quote. I, I believe in that. What's, what's the point of theory and tactics if it's not objective or if they're not objective oriented? I mean, yeah. the, the striker with no pressure, the defender that slacks on the marking on set pieces and training in the, in the week, it's guaranteed he'll do the same the weekend. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that that shaped me. Seeing demands, I remember, you know, 24, 25 years old, but being guys not locked in at University of Connecticut in uh, set-piece training. And we blow in the whistle, canceling training, boom, they're hitting fitness. So those type of those type of environments um, have shaped me and, and knowing what it takes to win, knowing that it's, that it's not easy to win and um, thinking about that throughout my daily life. Yeah. And even going back to that as well, uh, and taking that into player development or even getting better at anything, uh, really, of the, you know, there's a theory of 10,000 hours. You know, of 10,000 yeah. hours, you'll become a master of whatever, you know, profession you go into. But what that rule doesn't take into account as much, from my experience personally, is they don't talk about the environment enough, about that pressure, because... You know, if you don't have that competition or pressure coming from up top and you're just getting into a routine of uh, mediocre 
training and doing the hours, you might become good, but you know, when that pressure comes and you're in front of fans and you know, it's, it just doesn't, it's not the same, you know? Yeah. I, you know, and, and you're not going to be as good as you can be, whether that's individually or collectively with the team, you know, and um, the more accountability, the more ownership a team can put on each other, um, the better they're going to be in times of battle and during the game. And I think, I think about, you know, shaping the group and those type of things to be a winner. Um, I think that has a lot to deal with football management, just as mm. much as the tactical side and the game philosophy type side as well. Yeah. The world, the world, uh, the world went into lockdown for a couple of weeks and here we are a couple of months later couple of years later couple of years uh, <laughs> yeah traveling traveling uh traveling uh has become restricted uh, it's rare but i mean still uh you you've come to europe uh as an american coach with 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 a certain view of things how, how was that how was that personal transition coming from the u.s environment to european environment i mean everything from lifestyle to culture uh, to leadership style how, how was that experience Yeah, it's been, it's been different. You know, I think uh, one thing, lifestyle, uh, it's, it's different. You know, I grew up in, on the East Coast where it's, things are flying all the time. I've lived in New York City. I'm from New Jersey. And, you know, if you want to get truffled mac and cheese at 2 a.m. in the morning, go crazy on, on your phone. Um, so from a lifestyle standpoint, it's more, you know, a little bit more laid back, a little bit more when you go to a restaurant and wait, you know, I, I have a, a beer empty. I might wait 25 to 30 minutes to have that filled back up and getting used to those type of things. Um, I think from a football side and a cultural side, it's dealing any country you go to, the players are going to be different, right? And it's, mm -hmm. and it's about kind of, like you said, how can I get the best out of these guys to win? That, that's my job. And, you know, from the Swedish players, yeah, maybe they're motivated a little bit different than an American player. Maybe the American player likes that Rocky Balboa underdog a little bit and can handle that a little bit more. Maybe you need to communicate a little bit different to certain individuals, but it, it depends on an individual basis. Um, I think from a football side, you know, realizing that these clubs are representations of the towns kind of, mm. and it's really tight, tight knit and the people involved in the board and stuff are not specifically football people. They're people that are business owners within the town that have an mm. influence. Um, and, and knowing that it represents more the town um, within the club. So that, that was kind of different, you know, coming from the U S and, the U.S. sports perspective, it's more, you know, uh, MLS, it's more franchisey, it's more business savvy to make money. Um, not saying that it's not, but it's, it's different in the structure. Um, yeah. and, so, and the clubs in Sweden, it's not, um, there's not one owner. Um, it's more community owned and board member owned. Yeah. Um, so it has a lot more feel for the city and the region that it represents. 
Yeah, the pressure the pressure of tradition. I mean, they're still playing how Julius Caesar and Napoleon taught them to play, right? <laughs> Roy, Roy, Roy Hutchinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big influence. Big influence yeah. yeah, Roy Hutchinson. That's a good one. But if you he's were still, he's still he's still going. He's still going. <laughs> yeah, he's still going. He's still going. Crystal Palace. But if you were um to how would you compare the levels between Sweden and uh, U.S. soccer? And if you're first forced to generalize compared to the rest of Europe, even? You know, it's a tough question. It's a question I get a lot. And, um, you know, I, I have not I started my professional career in Europe working professionally. I'm, you know, it's a little bit different from me. Um, I'm not coming from New York Red Bulls and going into uh, Red Bull Salzburg like Jesse Marsh. Um, but I think it's a different type of football. I think, you know, if you're looking at the MLS, you know, it's, it's a faster game. It's more relied on athleticism. I think the Swedish and, you know, and the Allsvenska from Superettin, you know, these are more tactically organized, um, really tight defensively. Um, but then you go back to MLS and they could have a Carlos Vela that changes the, that that's a game changer. You know, these guys that are multi-million dollar players. So comparing it, um, I think it's interesting. You know, I think, I think the top teams in Osvanska, they do pretty well in MLS. Um, super at them. I, I, I value it higher than USL just because of, you know, the pressure with uh, the promotion and relegation the experiences that some of these players have had in Superettin, a lot of them, you know, just at Gifsons, well, they've been in Champions League qualifiers. They played in Europa League. They played on bigger teams and bigger stages uh, where the USL is now more geared to younger American players, um, giving them a, ch a chance at, at professional football. So I think there's still a difference there, but the MLS has grown and obviously they can attract uh world stars now whether they're in the prime of their career or not that's a different story but they still have something and i think their budgets are bigger so i think it's an interesting comparison for sure for sure but like yeah as well with like you said you know people in the past because i've also played in many different countries and they say oh which which country is better you know for example playing yeah. in the top tier of Slovakia to second tier in Holland, you know, and it's, yep. it, it's very difficult to say because the styles are so different, you know, one, one uh, with one team, you could be playing really direct and behind football. And then one team you have 80, 85% position of the ball. And it's, it's hard to compare footballs compared to like different countries and different qualities, different, uh, different, even styles, you know, the game is, is very diverse. For sure. And then that's why you see certain players succeed in certain countries and certain people don't succeed, you mm -hmm. know, because of the different styles, because, okay, maybe the game was, uh, was a little bit too fast for him. Maybe the game was, was perfect for him. Maybe this league was a little bit too technical for him. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to a different league that's quote unquote higher level. And, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. So it's hard to put a finger on that. It is. It's yeah, definitely. No, I completely agree. And yet it's the modern world. Everybody wants to know what's that player's level. What's that player's level. Yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah. players, there's players at the, at the high, there's always been players at the highest level that if you put them two, three levels down, they won't stand out. 
they struggle. Yeah, they struggle. And there's and there's always been players who just that some small reason it could be anything from an injury to some psychological element that they would have been if you put them at the highest level they would have been a top player but they didn't make it yeah mm -hmm. i look at it you know growing up with some elite players in the u.s who were really technically and tactically savvy and um maybe not weren't the best athletes and you know they went into the mls they didn't really survive the mls um especially you know we're talking eight years ago um but I look at them and like, okay, if these guys were in Sweden, if these guys were in Europe in Holland, like they would have really good careers. So I think it, it depends of what type of environment and that, that goes to show you as a player and as an agent, if you're working in that, it's not, it's always, you got to put the player in a place to succeed. That, that is a strength for his football. Um, you can't always just look at, okay, this, this is a top level team. This is a good contract. Well, that might be the end of them. Let's let's, sure. let's 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 go on his pros and what he's good at. For sure. And then, you know, following on from what you said as well, uh, looking at your next moves, people look at your last six months. What did you do? How many games did yeah, you play? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are your statistics from the last six months? It doesn't matter where you were three, four years ago. You know, what did yeah. you do six months ago? Yep. Yeah. You, you know, you know that uh, better than any of us, I think, you know, and me as well. When we look at players, we're like, OK, well, he hasn't played the last six months. But then he, two years ago, he was starting for IX Amsterdam. Yeah, um, for sure. What's going, what, what's going on here? And that's that's a common thing. For sure. But football's always changing. You know, it's always changing, always improving. So that's why as well. Uh, you know, if you don't keep on it and make all the right moves and you do have six months out, football leaves you behind very quickly, very, very quickly. Yeah, it's a competitive, we're in a competitive business, both from the coaching standpoint, from the team standpoint, it's a, it's a competitive business. And that's uh, a lot of people want to be involved in it what, through players, through agents, through, through scouts. Yeah. And uh, that's the nature of our, our sport. For yeah. sure. I'm, I'm never going to answer that question for sure. Is it always improving? It's always growing. But for me, is it always improving is always an open question. And I keep thinking about that. In some yeah. ways, it's in some ways it's getting worse. Hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's all opinion based, right? What yeah. is ideal football? What is, you know, it's it's a bit subjective in that. So, sure. um, you know, I, I agree with you. I agree with you with that. And I said it on the podcast in previous episodes as well, you know, that, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about football is that it's an opinion. If you're a sprinter, yeah, sure. you're the fastest runner, you win the yep, race. Yep. But in football, who's better? Some people say Ronaldo, some people say Messi. You know, it's, it's a matter of opinion. And, and that's the same as well about what is, what is good football, you know, what is, what is beautiful football. It's a matter yep. of, you know, it's a subjection of the mind, you know, what, what the fan likes, what, what you like is a personal experience. Yeah, it's a, I agree. It's, it's a vessel for our subjectivities. <laughs> but but that, that is why it is the beautiful game, right? Because you yep. can have these different mindsets. You can be creative. You can have these different opinions of what is good, what is, uh, as a coach, okay, what, what are your ideas? What do you like? What are your principles of play? And that, that's what makes it special, I think. Um, so. Completely agree. Yeah. And some subjectivities are better, better than other subjectivities. <laughs> some. some. <laughs> Brian, back to, back to Jersey. Always back to Jersey. Always back to Jersey. Um, 
tell us about like specifically about your neighborhood, what soccer meant to you when you were growing up, who introduced you to the sport early on, like, you know, how you got into it. I mean, your father was, was working with the NFL and, 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 and what brought you into the sport and just tell us about your neighborhood and what it was, what it was like and what you, what your dreams were back then. Yeah. You know, I grew up in New Jersey, um, which is a pretty, uh, hotbed for soccer in the United States. You know, we always thought of uh, the 94 World Cup of Carney um, with Pab Ramos, John Harks, uh, Tony Miola. That was always the three guys from Jersey. And then mm-hmm. in South Jersey, where I'm from, you know, you had Peter Vermees, part of that squad, who's now the manager at Sporting Kansas City. Um, a lot of managers uh, coming out of New Jersey, Peter Vermees, Bob Bradley, uh, mm-hmm. Greg Berhalter. Bradley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I grew up in South Jersey, um, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And uh, I think, you know, my parents, uh, they just threw a ball at me and I started playing <laughs> at a young age. They were like, this, this guy, this guy has a, this guy has a little too much energy. Yeah. Um, and I was, and I was good at it. I played other sports. I played baseball. I played basketball, played hockey growing up, but soccer was always the thing I was, I was a little bit better. I was better at, you know, and, and I kind of stuck with that and, um, then my family, we moved to Medford, New Jersey, um, where Brendan Aronson is from, from who plays for Red Bull Salzburg. Yeah. Um, the high school where I went had two MLS players that I graduated with. We were the number one public school in the country. So we had a lot of good players in this area. Um, there was a coach from Australia at the time, James Galanis, who took a liking to me. Um, as a player, because I was a bit creative, he is the personal trainer to Carly Lloyd um, and has a lot of influence on her. So he's influenced me a bit, but it was more, you know, I think if people talk, you know, go back home and, and ask about me, they, I always had a passion for the game. I always wanted to play. I wanted to be a pro. Um, at that time, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, the MLS started in 1996 yeah. And then when I was getting out of college, uh, the minimum salary was $12,000. There was no USL. So the opportunities were more limited. You know, the guys that really made that were the real, real upper echelon guys, the guys coming out of the U-17 national team, the U-18 national team. And I wasn't on that level, you know. Um, so that's kind of how I got involved with it. My brother, um, he was... Uh, we had a goal in the backyard and I threw, I needed someone to shoot at and we threw him, <laughs> we threw him back there. And luckily enough, he got a little bit taller than me and he became a good goalkeeper, mm. um, an elite player in the U S and uh, that's kind of how it started. And our, our whole family kind of revolved around that traveling all over the country, taking us to these tournaments all over the place. And uh, yeah, we were a footballing family and uh, it, it was a big influence on, on our childhood. And we had parents that supported us and wanted us to be good. And, and to give them credit, especially my father told us we weren't that good. So, <laughs> so, so, so that's how we grew up. You know, you have some of these parents that, uh, you know, sugarcoat it with their kids. I always tell this story, you know, if, you know, even when we had really good games, you know, my father would say, yeah, yeah, you're all right. But you knew you were in for a tough week at my house when, when my mom would say, you know, if you had a bad game and my mom was like, eh, yeah, you weren't too good. Then you knew you were really, <laughs> you were really poor. 
But um, yeah, it was a big part of us growing up, and uh, we were lucky to have family, our parents that were committed to it, and they bought into it, and they uh, they supported us. That, that is a contrast to to the Swedish to the Swedish system, where you kind of keep kids on the team even if they they can't tell the ball from their from their teammate. Oh my god! I have a little I have a, I have a little anecdote to that. The other week, uh, I'm I'm taking the under 16s team here at my club at the moment, and okay. uh, we had like an easier training, you know, so it was a bit bit more of a fun. But we had uh, we were picking three teams to play, uh, you know, a little tournament basically like a six versus six versus six. Uh, so I picked three captains, you know? Uh, so they picked all the teams, you know, and that was, that was fine. The games was fine. I thought it was competitive. It was good fun. Uh, then I hear from the, one of the directors of our club, uh, oh, one of the parents uh, called us because he wasn't happy about being last uh, picked in the competition. Oh, and I was like, and then the guy came to me as well, the kid after training. And I was like, look, like, you can take this in two ways like i've done it on purpose first of all because it's a lighter training but then also for yourself if you don't think that you're you know up to the other boys yet are you going to take that as in like oh i'm going to put my head down or i'm not good enough or are you going to take that as motivation like damn i'm really going to fight here i'm going to i'm going to go show them i'm going to go prove them wrong you know and it's about i call it always character building you know <laughs> it's character yep, building yep, yep. you know you have to football is such a competitive environment you have to be strong and you're going to have coaches that are going to be really hard on you when you're playing at the highest level the fans like uh, look at all the stick Eden Hazard's getting at the moment you know from having a laugh with a friend after the game like the pressures of football are massive and and kids have found here especially in Sweden are very sheltered from that yeah yeah might want to suggest an online uh, education platform for him <laughs> yeah i mean links you below know, links below <laughs> you know it, it it is it could be a generational thing right you know it is harder you know even at at the professional level it is different to to manage these guys than it was seven years ago um mm. you know you look at Mourinho now that they say that he has a hard time managing um, this new generation of player. Um, why Roma? And, why Roma? Oh. Yeah. And, um, you know, the tough love approach and being a little bit more old school in your leadership, something that, you know, I grew up on with my dad. You know, he was hard on us and uh, to make us better, to make us tougher, to make us stronger, whether it's in football or life. That's a bit different now. And you have to find ways in terms of leadership. Um, how to get the best out of these guys because that's your job you know and that's something that you know especially you know last season that i had at emu i i reflect and i look at him I'm like okay maybe it was a little bit something a, a big leadership change from what they had in the past and uh that's something that uh i think Mourinho is probably thinking of if he's smart he is and uh, everyone, because the kids are changing, the players are changing, the the generation is changing, in terms of how they, what motivates them, and and how you can get the best out of them. Sure. And and rolling off that a little bit, uh, you know, you had a little bit of a difficult. Well, that's a bit of an understatement. Uh, you had a massive, massive hit with uh, COVID during the middle of last season. Uh, like, how 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 tough was that psychologically and and what did you learn from that? 
Yeah, I, you know, last season uh, was up at Emu in the Super Ethan, newly promoted team. I knew um, from a financial standpoint, I knew it was going to be a big, big challenge. Uh, but my job was to keep them in the league. And um, I, I firmly believed that that was going to be – I like to take on challenges. Um, I like to throw myself in uncomfortable places. Uh, number one, like I tell you, it goes back to Rocky. Um, I was about to mention that, actually. Really? Um, yeah. and, and number two, I have to prove myself because, you know, I'm 35 years old. I'm American. I'm not coming from New York Red Bulls and getting thrown into Sweden. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting my career here. So I have to, if a super Ethan team wants me, okay, we like how we've heard good things about Brian. You know, we like how he plays football. Like I have to take those jobs that are challenging and I have mm -hmm. to constantly prove myself. So, you know, going into Umeå after the third game of the season, our, both of our starting strikers are injured. Um, and, you know, it was a struggle to adapt on that. And then a few games after that, our whole team gets uh, COVID, 16 of us, the leaders included. And we have to play games um, with without coaches. Uh, I was at, at games without coaches, without coaching the squad. Um, our youth team was playing senior football. So they weren't, our under 19, so they weren't directly um plugged in with our club we couldn't bring those guys up mm. so we, we literally hired guys that were retired like in the working in the marketing department had to play in in the season in elite football still, in still registered still registered and and, uh, and you had one yeah. game with like 14 players total or 13 players right even yeah, two 12 games. players we had, put, yeah. we had to put uh, i think that was the one where i wasn't at because of covid yeah. So that was difficult. It was, you know, a bit unlucky. Okay, you got these injuries, major players, guys where we put the big finances in. Okay, they're out. Start the season off pretty good. They get hit. We still kind of are going in a good situation. Then we get hit with, with COVID and, and are forced to play in these games. And then after, you know, when COVID is done and these players come back, it takes them another two weeks to get the lungs back. Yeah. It's not like, okay, they're not – you know, they don't have it anymore and they're good to go. So it took another two weeks. And then after, you know, at the end of the season, after the two weeks, then we were getting points again, but it was uh, far little too late. We missed the qualifier by a few points. And I'm a firm believer if we didn't get that COVID, um, what was it? we, we would have made the contract. 15, COVID, COVID took 15 points by itself, not to mention the recuperation afterwards. But then at the end, it was just, yeah. I mean, I, nobody's going to tell me that that didn't it didn't make a decisive impact oh, I was, yeah. you guys yeah. were you guys were you guys were making more uh, more chances than than a lot of the opposition than a lot of senior established teams uh there was a there was a there was a good energy going and then boom yeah we got it we got hit and uh hey it is what it is i've learned a lot from it from a leadership standpoint from um a cultural standpoint and uh you know it will, it will grow me as a coach and uh it is, it is what it is. I, I look forward now, um, but it was, uh, it was a tough year. It was a tough year. Yeah. And we talk as well a lot about on this podcast about, you know, the controllables. And also you do have things that are uncontrollable out of your hands, you know, and that's, that's a great example of, you know, it's a massive, 
massive effect of something that's happened on your team, but it's completely uncontrollable. Like going back from a personal experience, I had COVID as well uh, over Christmas. And it took me three weeks to feel good, like training by myself, never mind playing at the highest level, you know, in, in the second tier of Sweden. So like, uh, it has a massive effect, you know, and, and it's something that is completely out of your hands. You can't control it at all. Yeah. You know, it's obviously Sweden handled COVID a bit differently than the rest of the world. And I think there's pros and cons to that. Um, but like I said, I remember when, when we were getting all these guys back into training, I was like, wow, there's a lot of coughing going on. And they would say, yeah, the lungs, I can't get the oxygen in. And I'm like, well, we got a game. We got a game in two days, buddy. You got to, <laughs> you know, we just played with 11 players. Should I call up the marketing guy? Should I got to play him in central midfield again? Oh um, so it was tough, but you know, like I said, as a leader, as a coach, you want to deliver the message. Hey guys, we got to roll up the sleeve. There's nothing we can do. We got to take, take it on and, and, and be as good as we can be. Um, but you know, you also have to have the right players and the right characteristics of guys that, that want to embrace those challenges. And that was a big goal for me last year was like, okay, let's keep this team up and let's, let's establish ourselves, and then, okay, now we can just start attracting a different type of player with more experience, with leadership qualities, with traits that I wanted. Um, but, but we fell short and that's, that's the truth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for, 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 for our audience that doesn't know, Sweden didn't have a lockdown, one of the very few countries in the world, but it did have a lockdown in football. <laughs> I mean, uh, the yeah. leagues, the, the lower leagues were actually locked down and, and stopped uh, for a long time. Well, well, the rest of the country was going to shopping malls and restaurants. So it was really controversial, but it did happen. Um, so it was a strange time, but not at Brian's level. They kept it going. Even they forced Wait. you guys to play with COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we kept it going. You know, it was a, uh, you know, I guess you know they had a good, uh, a new TV contract um, was just put in for the elite football um, with all Svenska and Superette, and I know that had a big influence on it, um, fulfilling that contract. So yeah, we played. Yeah, yeah a little bit of Fight Club, you know. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you can rip it anyways. Uh, that's that's uh, that's one of the uh, that's one of the the kind of uh, uh, adverse hallmarks. But anyways, you still gained a reputation in Sweden, Brian, for for admiring a certain style of football. Uh, every every team you touch uh, plays in a quite recognizable way, at least in this context. Um, and uh, you also have you know the the journos, as I'm going to call them. Uh, talk about, you know, that you're a student of the game, you always give good answers, but how would you describe your own style? Yeah, I, I like to, to dominate games. Um, you know, uh, I like to be on the ball. I like to, you know, I like to find overloads. I like to be aggressive um, on and off the ball, high pressing, um, which is a bit different in Swedish football. Now it's starting to go there a little bit, but I, I focus a lot on the pressing rotations, but um, I would say it's a, it's, it's, it's a game that is a controllable chaos in a way with some free flowing rotations, um, reactions, aggression at the right time, how to wear down an opponent. Um, we want to be in control of the match. 
Um, we want to manipulate the opponent. And we talk about that. Um, we talk about spacing. How do we manipulate spaces? How do we open up space? How do we close down space? How do we make the opponent extremely uncomfortable on both sides of the football? Um, so I would say it's, it's a, a, a dominant type of football. And that's not just with the ball. That's, that's yeah. a lot of it. We talk, I talk a lot about pressing and, and regaining the football back to score as quick as possible. And I told you to influence with Rognick, with Roger Schmidt yeah. of, okay, how can we score a quick goal with our work rate? And uh, that's been a big influence uh, with me these last few years, for sure. If you can only recruit one key position to make that, you know, your, your style of play, your system work, what position would that be? I think, you know, in one way, it's a holding midfielder because they have to have a lot of traits in order. They have to have high engine and, and just the way we press and how we need to go forward when, when in that position. He cannot be a connector, um, breaking through lines, playing forward, breaking these spaces that are vital, that need to happen very quick. So that is a key position. Um, but another key position that's hard for me to find that I would want is, is a central back. Um, central backs, they're vital in the buildup, um, bypassing uh, the opponent's press right away, the first line of the opponent's defense. So those two positions are vital in, uh, in being successful in, our, in, our game, in my gaming principles of play. I'm going to shoot one out there that just as a follow-up that I've never actually asked before, but you gave me an interesting thought. Could you put your finger on which line in the game is, is, is the most different in Europe from the United States? Which, which uh, line of players is developed in the most, in the most uh, alternative way? Hmm. I would say, I would say the, the guys up top. I think they're a little bit more savvy, a little bit better off the ball movement, um, mm -hmm. a little bit um, just knowing how to separate a bit off the off the back line, um, mm -hmm. uh, just uh, just a little bit more experience. And I think they're I think they're better shooters over here. To be honest, like I know that kind of sounds cliche, but I think they strike the ball better these forwards up top. Um, so I think, I think the, the guys up top are a little bit different. They're a little bit, they have different experiences. They're, they're a little bit more mobile in terms of uh, just separating off a center back shoulder a bit, mm -hmm. when to check, when to kind of take a fake mm -hmm. run um, just to create the gap between the defensive and midfield line. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that they're a bit, they're a bit different. Um, more Interesting. Mm. Mm. And also, Brian, you've been in some uh, a few discussions with some quite quite big clubs, but uh, your chance hasn't yet materialized. Uh, do you have a little s story about uh, you know? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, you know, I, I started my professional career in Sweden. So I'm, I'm constantly needing to prove myself. I'm 35 years old. I'm American, you know, no one, it's, it's, it's a challenge, you know, I need to do that much better than other people. Um, 
but the, the, I don't, you know, I've had, I've had some inquiries to, to some big teams in, in Norway who I've met um, now, whether Norway is the right place for me to implement my football, that that's a different question. I don't yeah. know. Um, I think I would be more successful in some countries in Southern Europe, Austria, Germany, Holland, for example, I think I could do really well there. I think the game might be a little bit more innovative and a little bit more progressive there. I get a lot of inspiration from the Bundesliga. Um, I've had some, you know, some inquiries from some MLS clubs. Uh, I had a talk with an agent a few years ago about Colorado. Now, how much interest is that? I don't know. You know, you, you have these conversations with agents and, um, you know, they tell you certain things and, and you, you say, okay, are you interested in this? Do you want to explore this? I would eventually um, like to coach an MLS at some point in my career and see how I would do there mm-hmm. um, with, the, with the right club. And I think for me, going to back to the U.S., it needs to be for the right reasons. It needs to be right for the right club because I want to test myself in Europe. I like the promotion and relegation. I like pressure. I've been on the top of promotion. I've been on the bottom. And, uh, yeah, it will, it will age you. It will age you. I might not look 35 anymore. Last year, I didn't. I'd probably look 44. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, there's been some talks. But I, 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 have to, I have to, you know, I have to prove myself. And when you're coming from the background that I've come – that I came from, you're not going to be in the most – luxurious environments to start right the, you're not going to mm-hmm. be in clubs where they have excess of money to win you're not go- you're going to have a lot of different challenges where you okay maybe they don't have an analyst and you got to dig into that you're, you're doing okay maybe your assistant coach i know when i first came over here these are all part-time coaches when i first came over here mm-hmm. and for me to do it at the level that i do it at where you know, I can work 16 hours a day consistently through the week. Um, you have to take on a lot of different hats um, in order to to play the football that I play uh, that has so much detail in it and um, in order to present it in, in that way to be the best that you can be. So, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, there's been some inquiries. Um, I hope that, you know, my goal is to go to the highest level possible. And to be challenged um, tactically, to be challenged in a leadership and a management side, and let's see what happens. When you were saying you were at the top and the bottom of a league that was actually in the same season you were referring to, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, <laughs> probably, probably. probably. We, both know, we, we both know what you were talking about. Where you yeah, were, yeah. We went yeah, from bottom yeah. to like fourth, um, but yeah. No, but it's very exciting, Brian. It's it's really exciting to see even your journey so far, you know. And and I know Tony as well. You know, we follow you both. Uh, you know, very much. We see. You know, it's very exciting to see, and uh, I look forward to seeing the future as well. Yeah, let's let's hope for the best. Let's hope for it for sure. And then, how do you see uh, the game of football changing, Brian? Like our smaller smaller teams closing the gap on on bigger clubs, uh, like the biggest teams. I had, uh, we spoke about this in the office the other day um, as a staff, and it's interesting. I think scouting can bring you 
so far past your financial means, right? I think if you go into a club, uh, and I, you know, I, I know I've, I've spoken about Red Bull a lot, but Red Bull has a certain philosophy of how they want to play. And within that philosophy, they have traits of players at each position. And whether they sell that player, they've already scouted the same traits. And it does not matter what coach they bring in um, because they have the tools to play the, the club's identity. Um, and I think that if you're doing things the right way, if you go into a club, okay, this is how we want to play. These are the players, traits that are needed to play that way. We have players that are scouted in a depth chart. And if you do that the right way, you can be very, very successful. Um, so you look at Nordschland in Denmark, who has the right to dream connection right now, who are, mm. are, who are doing some really good things, both on the business side, but both on their playing side. So I think there is opportunity for smaller clubs to um, hire good people, hire the right people to not only compete sporting wise with the top teams, but also gain profit. Um, Business-wise. Moneyball. <laughs> to be honest, it's probably easier in a smaller club, smaller, yep. smaller uh, budget to, 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 to absorb. So I think that that's something in Sweden that they can do better on for sure. Um, you know, you're blessed with pretty lenient work permit rules where you can go to Senegal, you can go to Ghana and bring a player in and taking advantage of that. And, but, but you have to know what you stand for as a club, as your football. And I think, you know, if you did that the right way and put resources into a director of football, certain types of scouting um you could really do damage well, it all but stems from the identity of the club identity and the top down top down approach you know um and then uh so i think that's that's lacking and and you know going and you see from red bull i mean they can sell holland they can sell all these guys and they have the system they have the feeder clubs whether it's the under 19s whether it's the second tier in Austria where they can keep, okay, no problem. We have a player like that and that and those traits, we're going to play this. We're going to keep developing them. We're going to play the same way. We're going to compete for titles and they're just advancing up the ladder. Um, and I think people can use that as a, as a, as a really good example. Now it doesn't need to be football like that. Your football ideas can be different and a different style of play, but you can, uh, you can do the same thing. The, the, the rocket clubs are the last couple of years. There's one thing consistent with them. They've had, they've built good databases and, and anybody can build a database, but it's about hiring the people that know how to build a database that know how to line up three players for you at a certain quality level. Uh, that is actually the Bundesliga way. It's with Bundesliga clubs quickly sell off their best players and they don't lose any quality. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's innovative. And I think you, we, we, we can see more of that. There needs to be more of that. Um, instead of just taking a chance, instead of not being business savvy, okay, we need a left side center back. Let's okay. What's left side center back. What fits our budget? Let's be ahead of the game. And then these smaller clubs will be more profitable moving forward. For sure. 
do do you have any any tips for american australian or kiwi uh coaches dreaming of working in europe yeah (laughs) um it's it's not easy right if you look on the outside looking in like oh yeah i want to go to europe i want to coach these teams there's a lot of challenges and you gotta Mm. you gotta be really dedicated to this you gotta be you know uh, comfortable being alone not having any friends focusing your whole life on football every single day we're not just talking six months here we're talking years and years and years and then on top of that you got to win with pressure so it's not all uh glitz and glamour here i mean you, you really need to grind and you need to to be comfortable being uncomfortable um but I think it's, it's about, it's hard to get into, right? You need to have the right network. You need to have people that, that trust you. Um, like I said, in Sweden specifically, these are tight clubs, you know, they're, they're represented by a lot of people in the community and the board. Um, and then once you do get that opportunity, you need to do well and you need to be better than the people that work in this country. Um, you need to be a little bit different. You need to have different traits. Um, so I, that would be my suggestion. You know, you need to network well. You need to visit places. Um, I was fortunate when I was coaching in the U.S. Uh, I was able to travel the world to find the best players and get them NCAA eligible. Um, that was my job for four to five years. And during that time, I was going to the best academies in Europe. I was going to the best academies all over the world. And having those connections and meeting the scout and um, them getting to know me as a person and what I thought about uh, football, uh, th- those take you somewhere. And that was that's really how I got, got to where I was, to be honest. Of course. And I wanted to take that back a little bit to something you just mentioned, mentioned before of, I'm not sure exactly how it's like in the States, but like definitely from New Zealand people don't understand even if you're a player or as a coach if you're a professional in Europe you haven't you haven't made it yet you're not driving a Ferrari you're not living a fantastic lifestyle and have a mansion and can pay for all your family you know for the rest of their lives it's it's a journey it is a grind and and the journey never ends you know it's always about uh, here the football industry compared to New Zealand is so cutthroat so you always have to look for ways to better yourself improve uh, reinvent if things are not working well and uh you know people don't don't completely understand that from new zealand that it's not it's not a fantastic lifestyle you're still you're still grinding here you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. there is a lot of players right this is the number one sport in europe like even if you go to these small towns in sweden and germany small villages there's a lot of players there's a mm. lot of players Um, So it's competitive on the player side, right? If you don't do this and if you're a international player from, they got to use an international spot on you. If you're not performing, why, why have you, if you're not that much better than the guys that we have, why have you on the squad? We'd rather put it into guys that we developed. Um, And yeah, it is, it is tough. It's cutthroat. It is because, because of it's supply and demand. Um, There is a lot of supply here. And that's exactly the same as the coaching side as well, which I wanted to point out too. Yeah. Like I said, um, you know, everyone wants a coach in clubs, whether, believe me, some, some places I would tell them not to go, 
but that's another story. But people, people, people will always take a coaching job because everyone wants to be involved. Everyone wants a coach at certain levels and uh, wherever you are. But yeah, I think I touched on it a little bit before as uh, you need to be that much better. You need to yeah. be that much different. You need to be that much more dedicated um, and you need to be that much sharper because you're already taking someone else's job. I'm taking someone else's job, so I need to perform. So and I take that on. And through having these experiences of, as you mentioned before, traveling to many different countries, uh, hailing from the States and now working in Sweden, do, do you hear any, any bad recommendations in football and where do they often come from? Bad advice. Bad advice. I think there's a lot, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, what do you mean by that? To players or to coaches or to, I mean, specifically? Uh, it, could, it could be in any environment. Could be to players, could be to coaches, could be from the boardroom, you know, any, any bad advice or recommendations that kind of stick out because obviously, you know, there's, there's a hell of a lot. <laughs> you know, there's, there's all these buzzwords going on in football, right? And I'm not a big fan of them. You know, I, I hear play expansive a lot. I, I think that means I, I, I cringe when I see, when I hear that number one, I guess it means like play, play wide, I guess. I don't even know what it means, but pick, pick the ball out of the park. Yeah. Play, expa play expansive. And like, for me, my philosophy, I like my teams to be very overloaded as well and create overloads yeah. and keep it tight. I think yeah. people criticize me because I don't play. They, they go, where's your, where's your winger? Why is he not on the touchline? I bring them so central. So play expansive. I just, I, I, I hear that on TV. I hear it all over the place. And I'm just like, what is this? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I watch younger kids play, I hate that they tell them to pass the ball. I like dribblers. I think, yeah. you know, in these, I'll tell you a story with the U S development Academy. When I was going down there scouting all these players before I came to Sweden, I was looking at these, these MLS academies and these development academies. And I was like, everyone plays four, three, three. They can't, they don't play with two strikers. And I was watching these players and I go, wow, they're really good at passing 10 to 15 meter balls. They can really play pass the ball 10 to 15 meters. Mm -hmm. And there was, we were taking their creativity. I didn't see any creative players. And this is watching over 200 development academy players, uh, games. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, I don't like that. I want young players to be creative uh, at, the, at the young level. Like, let's create creative footballers. Those are the guys that make the difference. Let's create technical footballers. Let's, yeah, so expensive and don't pass the ball you know it kind of cringes yeah. a bit like you know and and then where do where do all those mostly creative players come from they come from you know street football essence yep. essentially you know playing yep. five versus fives with friends yep. all day and i know i read an article actually the other day about even top academies in in the uk at the younger levels the coaches are driving the players off in a van to a five versus five court and dropping them off and leaving them there you know, it's just I, I think football. that I, I think that's great development. You know, like I, I when I grew up, like we had the indoor uh, soccer, you know, with the boards. Mm. That was the big thing. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. um, 
and uh, then the futsal got more more popular. But yeah, like that's that's where you can you can try you can try things there. There's no pressure. You can try something, you know, for these kids. Oh yeah. I saw that on YouTube. Like, let, let me, let me perfect that. Let, let, you know? So I yeah. think that's, that's the way to do things. Let's create, let's find creative players. Let's develop um, creative players. If we have a creative player at the under 15 level and he's playing for LA galaxy, let him, let him do his things. Let him do his things. Let's not worry about results. Then let's, let's, have these guys understand the game and um, play to their strengths. Because what that's I found pay off in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And and what I found, which was super interesting, was the culture of football, especially in my time in in Holland. Uh, basically, you know, it's a very small country, so all the all the towns are really all the cities are really close together, and uh, they have these things called uh, Cruyff courts, which is yep, outside yep, yep. five versus five football courts with artificial turf you know but it's, it's all maintained by the city it's very good quality and man i was i was playing down there every day and you would have players from the era divisia from the top league to the second league to under 15 under 16 internationals all playing together and it's quite uh it was saying yeah, that's special. maybe it's maybe in more of the hood of the city so you know, it would be a bit of a rough area, but all these boys coming through and having that support network from players already at the highest level, playing with the under 15s internationals and helping each other progress through the system and all all playing in a fun and very creative, but very, very competitive environment as well. Yeah. Yeah. The guys I've had, I've had quite a, I had one guy from Holland, but I've had quite a few on trial. Um mm-hmm since I've been over here and they are, they, you know, what's special about those guys, they do have a little bit of street ball in them. You know, mm-hmm. you can see that they grew up on that. They're technical, you know, and uh, yeah, hopefully the U S we can, we can get to that point. I mean, we have enough of those players in the inner cities, I, you know, in, in the boroughs of New York city, I've played with guys from Columbia, Colombian background. Um, you know, we, we, we can produce those players. We have enough players to do that, but it's just about uh, creating that environment and encouraging that environment, encouraging that type of play and valuing it. It was amazing. I, I played my competitive game in Chicago on the, on the Sundays and on the I was, I was a bad example, but on the Saturdays I was going at one o'clock to play with the Sudanese, stick around, play with the Argentinians at three o'clock and then stick around and play with the Egyptians at five o'clock. And I, and I swear, sometimes I'd stick around for the fourth game, which was like, you know, the ex-pros and the old people. I was, I still had enough energy for that, but it was an amazing experience. It was, yeah. And, and we, had, you know, we had, we had really good, you know, like 14 year olds turn out that could keep up with us. And, yep. and, and, they, and, and, and somehow there was no plug-in. Sometimes they never got the chance, you know, they never got the chance to, to they wanted to play. That, there was no doubt about that. I mean, they really wanted to play, but. There was no plug in. Yep, yep. But the thing is, as well, that's like some of the best football games I've ever played in. Like in terms of yeah. the actual quality <laughs> on the field, we played a game. Uh, I was living in Nijmegen, which is the city of NEC Nijmegen, and we played yep. against the a five versus five against the Arnhem team, which is the city of Vitesse. You know, but we played uh, like a five versus five game, Nijmegen versus Arnhem, and it was players like in the top leagues. Like <laughs> it was unbelievable, man. And like. Yeah. I, I, like I would have never, never even thought that would happen. You know, coming from New Zealand, it's culturally just not built like that. And, yeah. and those games are massive. They're unbelievable, really. 
Yeah. And an Argentine coach used to say, the only reason you need professional football is to get better pitches. Yeah, <laughs> <so> <laughs> he used to tell that in the locker room, you know, he's like, you guys are just here for the good pitches, you know, show what you can do. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now we got the rounder, Brian. Now we're going to round you off uh, with some, with some philosophical questions. Um, okay. Good luck. The first, the first one. <laughs> Define success. Yeah, you know, I think in coaching, it's about winning. That's success. I mean, uh, you know, and now I'm just being blunt about that because that's the, you need, you need to win in order to keep your job. So the more you win, the more success you'll have. Now from a, Life standpoint, I think success is happiness, right? Feeling content, feeling proud. Um, but I would say, like I told you, I, I am a serial winner. When I lose games, it affects me. Uh, I, as you know, Tony, sometimes I don't pick up the phone. Um, I go on a deep hole and I... I always winning, call a second time. <laughs> or third or third then it's the whatsapp message so um i think i think winning has a lot to do with success and you know it's about separating you know in this job with the pressure with the media with with the town with the people you need to separate your work success in football and your personal success which is happiness which is enjoying your life, enjoying your work, enjoying your football, even if things aren't, aren't, even if you aren't winning. So I have a professional view of success and I have a personal view of success mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep them separate. And oftentimes I don't, they, they flow in between. You can ask my uh, girlfriend about that. She knows it's a tough week if we lose a game, but um, that that's my definition of success. It's, it's winning. And then it's, being happy, being content, being grateful and enjoying yourself. Uh, those, those, those are my, that's my definition. But if you don't win, you can't be happy. <laughs> exactly. It goes hand in hand. But, but this, and this comment might get cut out, but yeah. in, in Sweden, you don't need to win to be successful. That's the thing about it. <laughs> yeah, it might be, it might be if, true. If, if you're Swedish, if you're Swedish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, uh, yeah, ne never mind. But as people go down in the leagues and keep their jobs like four, four times, incredible. Um, Brian, money. What purchase of a hundred dollars or less has most positively impacted your life in the six month in the last six months? And and if you don't want to talk about money, what time investment uh, has made a good impact? Oh, what what a question. Um, from a development side in football, right? Uh, and then I'll go into a personal one as well. From a development side, I, I, I put a lot of money into like books about managers and about, you know, leadership and situations and difficult situations they've been in. Those are the only books I read, you know. Um, I get a lot of you know, like I said, my girlfriend, she goes, you work at football when you come home, you watch football. And then when you're going to bed, you're reading about football. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, my, I, I, I got a recent one on Arsene Wenger and his journey through France and then to Arsenal. And, and, 
you know, when I'm reading about these experiences of people that are in the same industry of, of me, I think it grows as a person. You can handle different situations a bit better. So those, the money that I put into, into that, into those books changed me. And it's a personal development type thing. So that's from the football side. Um, I, I would say from a personal side, I got recently, you know, it was my 35th birthday a few weeks ago. And uh, I didn't, I, I, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I, my girlfriend, she got me a, a coffee grinder, a hand one, you know, and I've always bought the, I've always bought the coffee already blended. And uh, now, you know, we're putting the beans in there and it's uh, what a, what a difference that is what a, with, with fresh uh, coffee beans. So the aromas, having, the aromas are going, we, we have some like different flavors, beans, so that's made a huge impact on my mornings, you know. So oh, I've enjoyed fantastic. that. Fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but if you could have a gigantic billboard out in the world with with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, speaking to, you know, getting a message out to millions or billions of people, what what would it say on that and 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 why? I think I mentioned it once in our talks already. It, mm. It's be comfortable being uncomfortable Love and I, I i like that saying i i heard it first from ray reed at university of connecticut and it's a message that i try to live by as a person mm-hmm. and how i coach and manage my teams you know like we need to be comfortable in the 70th minute when we were just getting our ass kicked for the last 20 how do we handle that you've got to be comfortable being under uncomfortable you've got to you've got to adapt we need to fix things under stress you know we need to be good under stress Mm -hmm. and i I say that saying i like that saying another saying uh my dad always says he who hesitates loses and it's just about being opportune opportunistic taking chances being ready to go um you know so those are the two two quotes i like to i like a lot uh, very nice very nice and we want to get into something a little bit about time management because obviously as as a football coach especially in sweden as you mentioned earlier you have to put on so many hats within the game and in the last in the last five years in particular, what what have you become better at saying no to distractions, invitations, etc.? Like what new realizations and or approaches have helped with time management, uh, or any other tips that are that are in relation to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a real Brian question. I know I know how 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 intense your 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 own ambitions for your work can be, and how much work yeah. you feel you need to get done. So yeah. Yeah, I, I go into the volcano, like with video a lot, with analyzing. <laughs> uh, it, it, I can go into a really dark place. Um, the good thing with invitations is I don't have too many friends out here, so I don't have to decline. <laughs> any of that. So I can so I can work. I have no friends, you know, but I, I, I'm on the phone so much you know, through agents, through people that want to talk to you. Uh, and just from being over here, uh, connecting with my friends and family, I'm always on the phone. Mm-hmm. So 
for me, it's about not answering the phone. It, it's, it's about like just putting that away, turning it off, putting it in a different room and forgetting about that. And uh, that, that can rub people like the wrong way, but I need to do that because I am on phone calls all the time. And, I, and I've realized, you know, when I don't do that, you can, you're just always on, you're always on. And, and these are mostly phone calls about football. When I talk to my family and they're talking about the, the game and what guys are healthy, what are not, my friends, you know, so it's about turning that off, relaxing, you know, taking time for yourself, uh, prioritizing what needs to be done. And so you can have a moment to, okay, I'm going to shut off and make a good steak and have a glass of wine. And uh, surf and turf. Yeah. I haven't had the turf here. I haven't, I haven't found one of those big Maine lobsters, but I've, I've cooked myself some good steaks. But the turf, yeah, I'm missing that. I'm missing that a bit. If we get you down to New Zealand, if, uh, Brian will fix you a real good surf and turf. Yeah, I, I, I need that. I need you got to replace it with herring here, I think. What makes the difference between levels in a profession, Brian, to sum it up? Um, in, in, in your profession. In, in my profession, it, it's details. It's how detailed you are um, in, in your play, in your communication, in your examples, in what you do. Uh, I think for me, it's about getting everything detailed oriented exactly how we want to do things so the players know. There's no question marks. This is how we want to press. These are the rotations. This is who's shooting out. This is when we have the ball in, in this part of the pitch in the establishment phase and the final third plays, these are the rotations. These are the traits. This is what we're trying to do. And how detailed oriented are you? I think that is the different levels of uh, professionalism. And I think to be that detailed oriented as a manager, as a coach, you need to know really what you want in your game model. You Mm -hmm. need to, you need to thrive in that. And you need, this is what I think about football in this section of the field in our build-up phase, in our transition phase. Okay, these are my principles. These are my sub-principles. And for you to get your team to exhibit those b- behaviors, they need to be, they need to know the details. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. And of course, you need players with a noggin too. It's yeah. about players. It's about players. You need to have the right players in order to, to do that. But um, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But there is a... There is actually that answer is a real trend that we're getting from a lot of, you know, people in football at the highest level through this podcast is they do always mention about those finer details is what really makes the difference. Yeah, uh, I'm a bit disappointed because I thought I was an innovator. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, but I guess you're I guess you're interviewing good people, you know. Um, but yeah, I look at it, you know, I think guys that I've coached uh, guys have been at in the MLS team. And then I brought to Sweden and then went back to the U S that, you know, it's a big compliment that I've received from them. They're like the details mm-hmm. from the coaching that I've had, even at the MLS level um, back to the U S now at the U S level, they were like, you had the most details. We knew exactly what we wanted to do. The best compliment that I get from players 
after we play a match, whether a win or a loss or a tie, they said we had this book during the week. We knew exactly how they were going to attack, how what spaces we needed to find. It was on the money. And uh, that's the, I, I take pride in that statement. I yeah. try to have yeah. my, my teams, they, they read the book all week. They know. We know exactly how to move them, how to shift them. And, uh, and it's about details. Yeah. Finally, Brian, what, what does game insight mean to you? Is it just football intelligence or is it more? I think, I think game insight, you can separate it from a collective and individual standpoint. Um, you know, I think from a collective standpoint, it deals with the three aspects of the game, the attacking, the defending, the transition, and how you communicate as a collective, as a team in communicating in those actions. Um, So that, that there is an insight into that, into the collective, into the full team uh, communication within those aspects of the football match. And then from an individual standpoint, I think it's more, it's decision-making it's, it's, your positioning, it's your timing, it's your direction, it's your speed, it's your actions, it's your technique, it's the execution of a decision and, and how we develop that. And, and it starts at a younger age. How do we develop uh, a player with good in, insight how, that has good actions in their decision-making, in their technique, in their position, in their timing, in in their uh, direction, in their speed, when to, when to receive a ball. So I think for me, that's game insight. Great answer. And it's all, it's all to some, some extent trainable at an intellectual level. For sure. I think you can train it of different ways through education, right? You can, the best training for me is on the field. Um, but, you know, even at the professional level, we try to train game insight through video, through video, through through visual, and then try to execute it on the field. And um, there, there's different aspects, whether it's between small-sided, we're talking 1v1s, 2v2s, right? And then in the subgroups of the midfielders, when you do functional training, and then the collective. So there's there's different ways to train it. And I think you need to tick off all those boxes with video as well to help enhance and then grow your game insight moving forward. That's a very good answer. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for joining us today. Giving a lot Thanks, of guys. perspective. I mean, your, your, your career has been quite unique, to be honest. It's really cool to see it. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey. Hopefully, uh, it keeps going. I've enjoyed it. I've, uh, I've, I've enjoyed it and it's, it hasn't been easy, and it, but it, Hey, it is, it is what it is. And you gotta, you gotta enjoy your football while you're, while you're done. Of course. Yeah. Like I said uh, earlier, Brian is really nice to meet you. It was really, really interesting as well. I'm sure it is also for the listeners to hear a little bit about your story, your background, uh, profiling yourself as well. Uh, you know, it's been a very, Fascinating conversation with some very good uh, insight into into your world and in, into football as well. So thank thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank thanks Jesse. Thanks Tony. I thought it was a good conversation, and uh, look forward to speaking to you in the future.
Yeah, and and the, and, the, and and the details look quite promising, Brian. I have to say. Yeah. Good. Good. good, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. See you. See you guys. Bye.